0: Welcome to Last of the Labour Wine, an irreverent and informed take on the Labour leadership elections from three white, working-class, middle-class blokes from the North. Brought to you from Yorkshire by Stuart Bruce, Carl Milner and Mick Swales.
1: Welcome to... Last of the Labour Wine, with Stuart Bruce, Mick Swales, and my good self, Carl Milner. We're glad that you've made it this far. You made it through the first episode, we're into the second. Today, we, uh, we're going to follow a little bit of a format by going around and talking what we think are the talking points of the week, and then... We're going to
0: talk about Mr Corbyn. So, Stuart, what's been your highlight of the week? I'm not sure I'd call it the highlight of the week, but I think it's, the, it's kind of the sad news about Keir Starmer's mother-in-law and the fact that the Labour leadership candidates have suspended campaigning while he's not able to, which means that the hustings that I was going to be going to tomorrow um, in Leeds, and I think some of you might have been as well, is now cancelled. Although, interestingly, the deputy leadership of Stings are still happening. So, yeah, I think that was- so Have we got
1: any inkling as to why? I mean, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Hope Keir's mum-in-law is feeling a bit better and things go okay there. Um, but have we got any inkling as to why they've cance- uh,
0: not cancelled the deputies? Is it, are, They're all available, therefore, let's go ahead. Yeah, I, I think they're all here. Uh, I mean, I think physically they're, they could actually be in Leeds at the moment. Right, so, um, so it could be, uh, I mean, next week, um, show we're going
1: to uh, have a look at the deputy leaders. So uh, so that could be uh, that could be good ammo
0: for that one. Could it? It could. That's if we if we go, I still haven't decided whether, whether or not I'm going to go to the deputy leadership one yet. Yeah, I think it
1: depends who's on that singing program where they all wear a big costume or whatever. It's called. what's that one called? Is it called the, the, Oh, bit, the,
2: bit behind the mask or something
1: yeah mask, mask singer, singer. Yeah. The one Alan Johnson was on yeah
2: <laughs> don't remind us <laughs> how about, bizarre was that anyway yeah yeah so Mick uh, highlight of the week was probably uh, Lisa Nandi winning the nomination of the GMB union um, in previous leadership elections the unions have tended to rally behind one candidate and now it looks like the three biggest unions are going to be supporting three different candidates so that could even the score up because they bring huge resources and uh, and members and activists to the to the campaign. So that could be that could be really interesting seeing that fight between Unite, the GMB,
0: and Unison for three different candidates. I think it's also interesting that the GMB have made it clear who they don't want to be the leader yeah. because they've also chosen their second preference is for Kier Starmer. Yeah,
2: that's very
0: interesting. That is
1: really interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, what is our LB going to do if she doesn't get uh, the nomination? I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. It, it is possible. Mick, I mean, you were talking about that earlier, but uh, I think it's a long shot because, as you know, I think she, I think she's still going to win. But uh...
2: yeah, I think she'll still get the um, Unite nomination, but it's not an absolute certainty. Everyone likes to back a winner, and the unions in particular. Uh, I'm not as confident as you are that she's still going to win. I think she's favourite, but. So I think it's all still to play for.
0: And the other thing is is that CLP nominations have previously been quite a good indicator of where membership are going to go, and she's not winning on those either,
2: yet. I think as of last night she was on five, was it? Um, which I think tied with Lisa Nandy. And no, obviously I think, it's still I think a lot Lisa Nandy and has six right. now. I, I think, think
0: she's no, one ahead. Yeah, I think, yeah.
2: yeah, and obviously still a lot to go. There's only 70 odd or something
1: have nominated, so, or not even that, 40-odd. Yeah, I'm, I'm so just so. amazed that, that CLPs have, <laughs> have met to discuss that kind of thing. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, the idea of getting it together in any CLP I've ever been part of within within six weeks is... Uh, They're very keen, some of them, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I know. I know. What, what are they doing? What to take part <laughs> in the democratic process. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, talking of taking part in a democratic process, though, I mean, this three-stage thing... What's that about, really? I mean, you know, only,
0: only a trot could have devised that, couldn't they? I mean, unbelievable. Crazy system. Absolutely. Well, it's designed to narrow the field. Mm. and <laughs> To give members less choice. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> they've narrowed it on their own side,
2: haven't they? And, and what's your highlight
1: of the week then, Carl? Well, do you know what? I was going to say, Jess, Phillips Philip's dropping out, actually, because I've got a lot of, it may surprise you to know that I've got a lot of Blair-eyed mates, and... Um, you know, where their vote goes is actually an absolutely fascinating little kind of like play I think, you know, but with no constituencies again, no unions but has she really got all these members to join I mean, you know, has Jess Phillips really, you know, brought in thirty, forty thousand 40,000 people who are all out there, you know paying for a new, new new, Labour dawn, I don't think she has and I don't think that those are the kind of people who I think, I think
2: a lot of the new members and they're talking about up to 100,000, I think. I think a lot of those will be people like myself and others who did leave the party, so it will be the moderates. I'm not, I I agree with that, I don't think they all voted necessarily because of Jess Phillips, Uh, sorry, they all rejoined because of Jess Phillips. They rejoined because they wanted something different. But I I agree with you, I I think it's quite sad that she's not going to be on the final ballot, I thought she brought something interesting to it, and my hope is that she doesn't go down the strictly come dancing uh the route Balls of, route. Of, of, <laughs> of fame. Um, and actually she sticks, you know, with with serious politics. I think she'd be an absolute asset to whoever wins.
1: I mean, what did you think about the uh the bojo thing? I mean, you know, the way she said, you know, uh, at this time it's not for me. I mean, you know, that was a straight lift, wasn't it, from, from Johnson's yes. own when he stood in front of that massed audience where they all thought he was gonna Declare first time yep. round, do you remember? Well, um, Gov stabbed
2: him in the back. Yeah, well, in the front, wasn't <laughs> he? Year, yeah, sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, that was as if she's some... They're almost painting her as this kind of, like, you know, populist Labour figure, which I think she'll really enjoy that mm. as a comparison. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, I am disappointed because I do think that the party has a home for those people as, w- as much as it does For me, Dad on the left, but uh, you know it's uh, uh, you know, and and now they're going to have to vote for their second favourites, their second choices, and that's going to be really interesting, isn't it? Yeah.
0: And I think that's why there's could I think there could be a lot of undecided people out there at the moment. And I do think that this could be a very fluid election. I think the the polling and what we're seeing with the nominations, I think it's all subject to change because it's also a long campaign. So lots of times. For people to make mistakes or to gain
1: ground. I mean, we were saying that earlier, weren't we? We were saying that because I were talking about uh, just how, oh God, if Keir doesn't start saying something soon, I'm going to lose all, all hope. You know, he's got, I know what, we all know he's playing that kind of like steady, steady card, let's not get involved in all this, let's just, you know, it's mine to lose kind of approach to, to the world. But oh my goodness
2: yeah he can't play this sort of defensive strategy for the next well, nine weeks or something and it, you know, he's in danger of doing what David Milliband did back in 2010 um, when he played a very similar You know, it's mine to lose I just need to me- make sure I don't make any mistakes and I'm home and dry and I've obviously got beaten by his brother who's the, the scrappy newcomer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: If the hustings had been happening, I had my question already, um, come, on, come to, on, see, yeah. to see whether it would come out us, of yeah. the, the hat. Well it's a, straight, it's a straight steal from a guy in the States called David Mearman Scott, who's the author of The New Rules of PR and Marketing, and he's quite an interesting guy. And his latest book is Fan, something to do with fans. Uh, and anyway, he, he's been going to all of the US Democratic um, hustings for the President and asking the same question. And it's basically, what are you a fan of? Outside of work and outside of your family, what are you a fan of? And then he's recorded the responses of all the candidates, and it was quite telling that two just couldn't cope at all. So Joe Biden and Bernie Saunders just... Well, poof, we know, Rebecca's answer already, don't Which uh, is Netflix and Chinese, <laughs> is Oh, but that's just, not that's not something you're a fan of. I, but that's, I, I, yeah. I did
2: see one of the candidates uh, whose name I forget, the ex mayor of uh, that. Like, oh, the Peter Town. Bust- Yeah, him Bust- when, Bust- when he, he asked him, at one of the and that was quite interesting. He was he gave quite. A good yeah, no, answer, he did. Actually. He could do it. Yeah, but uh, very interesting because it it brings out the human side in them if they have a human side.
0: Absolutely, but I fear for Keir Starmer's answer. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> because I, I suspect he's more likely to be the Biden type where he attempts to pivot it and not answer at all. Out of all the candidates standing, I think he's the most likely to do that.
2: Could i just to say that after last week's recording, we, um, we went down to Leeds Minster, just down the road here, to, to hear Keir Starmer, and Stuart got to ask a question. And Not only did he get to ask a question, he got a commitment from Keir that he was going to come and visit Rothwell if he's elected leader.
0: And we have followed that up, because we're going to make sure he comes. Oh, good. Well, there we go. I'm sure that'll be the
1: lightning for him. Yeah, yeah, Rothwell. What other Yorkshire town would you
0: nominate? So anyway, guys, now we've stopped dissing Rothwell, Shall we get back to the what we were going to talk about this week, which was Carl's idea of why did Labour lose, or why did Corbyn lose the election?
2: Well, I think you're being very presumptuous there, Stuart, by suggesting that Labour lost the election, because I've spoken to a number of people, uh, fans of Jeremy Corbyn, admittedly, who refuse to believe that they did lose and that actually think that because they got this, this line in their heads that we won the argument, I don't know how they work that out, but they just genuinely will not countenance the idea that they're lost. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you
1: know, let's go into a competition yeah. where we know what the rules are. And let's, you know what's really annoying about that argument? That argument's about the left. That argument's not about the Labour Party. You know, the Labour Party was set up to be a, par- a parliamentary party to, to, to gain power for working people. Uh, And specifically at the time, probably for the trade unions, let's face it, you know. So, you know, let's remember what the Labour Party is and what the left is. And like Pat Young said last week, they are two very, very different things. They are related and, you know, they're they're very closely related, but they are not the same thing. I mean, you know, if you look at at what possibly, um, you know, Labour could have lost on, uh, there's three things, aren't there, that, that people are talking about. Corbyn himself and this kind of like, you know, North Islington stroke Paris revolutionary rubbish that he represents. There's Brexit, and I think we have to have a conversation about that. And then finally, there's the rest of the kind of like, you know, the longest suicide load in history and the policies that were, you know, and, and maybe we ought to take those in turn, maybe that's, that's where we start. So, you know, I just, Corbyn kind of came in, didn't he, on a, Wave of populism and kind of like people thought he wasn't the author- authoritative figure, he wasn't part of the orthodoxy, he was different. People liked him, he got lots of young people shouting, you know, blah blah, blah, all the rest of it. But actually, you know, over time he became the authoritative figure, didn't he? He became the insider, he became the person who allows people to fix the rules on his behalf. And people are genuinely scared of the man.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree um, with all of that. I you know, I think uh, there's so much about his background that I know that people say that he was vilified by the media, but there was a lot to vilify, to be honest with his in his, uh, his own political history. But I, I think the other thing that needs to talk about really in terms of, of why why they lost is just this this kind of overall miserablism of the left. There was no message of hope. A lot of things are tough for people, but you know you had Boris Johnson there with his. Hugely optimistic message of get Brexit done, and then effectively echoing Trump's "Make America Great Again" message. Whereas the left, it's always
0: just everything's miserable, the country's going to the dogs, and people need a bit of hope. Now, I think I think Mick's absolutely right. I think if we, and I was talking about this the other day, if we actually go back to kind of why Labour was so successful and kind of won in '97. I think it is, you know, I think Blair is overemphasised. I don't think he was the really big factor. I think the really big factor is that it was an optimistic campaign. It was all about aspiration. It was all about, you know, things can only get better again. Um, you know, it, that's what it was about. And we just had none of that this time. But, but what Blair was really good at in 97 compared to this time
1: round was that Blair was a brilliant leader of the opposition and he got them to a position where they were electable. You know, he dealt with all that backbench stuff, he dealt with being in opposition, he dealt with party discipline, he dealt with, you know, putting over that message of hope. You're absolutely right. That's where he was great and where Corbyn failed. He's not, you know, he was a, he was a rubbish leader, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, it falls at his door. He never expected to, to inherit that mantle and he, and he walked into it as if he was an oppositionalist. And that's very different from being a, Her Majesty's leader leader of the opposition, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and I, and I think the other reasons that you could look at for why we lost, they actually fall down from a lack of leadership. You know, I think, I mean, we, Carl's touched on some of them, but there was the team around him. You know, none of the appointments, or hardly any of the appointments, in the leader of the opposition's office would you consider to be the right people? Well, what about the front bench? But that was, yeah, well, you see, but the, what the left would say there is that was down to the chicken queue is that actually the first front bench was a lot more inclusive it was when the attempt was made to oust him that it was the the new front bench then that was really weak left with the dregs yes Uh, well and i think and i think that's actually one of the challenges some of the people on it have got the potential to maybe be something in the future but all of a sudden instead of just being backbench mps or maybe a junior shadow role they were suddenly actually so, so if you're looking at these modern, you know, the modern contemporary
1: uh, contestants, and looking back at Corbyn's kind of like lack, lack of ability in the PLP, which one of these is gonna is capable of, you know, of, of being better than that? all of them, <laughs> definitely all of them. But the question is who would be best, I suppose. and so maybe that's one criteria we need to apply to this election.
0: And I think there's, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think some of the other issues we had. I mean. It, it, it's not a good form to criticise staff by name, but I think in some cases we've just kind of yeah. got to. I mean, Seamus Milne, just where do we start? We're talking about kind of the news of the week. The one about Carrie Murphy going to Vienna for the weekend, on yes. <laughs> the weekend before the election. That
2: should have been my highlight of the week, because uh, of that news.
0: <laughs> yes. I have friends, I, I know people who are just volunteers who have cancelled holidays because of the election? Mm. They've lost, the, they've lost their money, but they're actually so committed as ordinary volunteers that that's what they've gone and done. And this is somebody that's on what ninety grand a year, who thought, actually, no, it's fine. Take a take a break during the during the election. It's that's that's the dumb thing.
2: Um, and to ouster from the uh, from the leader's office, from the as chief of staff to Corbyn and, and move her into head office to run the campaign when she. Is- she had no qualifications to do that job whatsoever, and the first thing she pretty much did was said, we, you know, the, uh, the targeting strategy whereby the target the key seats went out the window and adopted this most, the most ridiculous strategy I've ever heard of, of the 90% strategy that thought every seat was up for grabs, and absolutely destroyed the morale of those people who work in head office and, you know, there's some fantastic, really committed people who work in head office. Um, and yet, you know, in a in a, in a breath, their, their commitment, everything that they do, was just swept away by by her appointment. It was
0: just crazy. Targeting is one of the things I've written down here. You know, the num I mean, you can't calculate how many seats we could potentially have saved had we had a more focused, planned yeah, approach. they thought we but were going to sweep to power, didn't they? I mean, they
1: really did think that.
2: And, um, well, but even in the last two weeks when a bit of reality crept in and they did start adding some more defensive seats, even in Bury North, which I think in Bury North, when we lost, by yeah, yeah, we lost by 105, up to the last week of polling, they were still sending activists from Bury North to Altrincham. That we lost, that we didn't even hold and lost by God knows how many.
1: 5,000 or something, I think. Yeah, that. absolutely crazy. Sad on the strategic front. But we've lost a whole series of really excellent organisers and people. And although, you know, the people that have been replaced, I think we've got some pretty talented and clever kind of like leftists in the party. And I don't think there's any way you can take that away from them. Um, you know, they, they are that but they're not used to running political campaigns that, that are parliamentary campaigns. They're, they're used to running oppositionalist, you know, single issue, that kind of stuff. And and, um, and you can't do that on the doorstep. We all know that. You've got to... I know the world has changed, but it is not all online. Hmm. And specifically this election, the over-65s, well, I mean, you know, they weren't at the party for us at all, were they?
2: No, I think you're right in that they're their whole background is organising kind of street campaigns. And Rebecca Long-Bailey has already talked about we should have, what they should have done, we should have had more rallies. There's, you know, that's their default position. Have a rally and then everything's uh, fine. Yeah. But I'm just,
0: just going to challenge Carl's a bit about uh, not all online and the over 65s because actually, a lot of them are very active online. I can give you the anecdotal example of my great aunt Edna. During the election, she'd probably be sharing three or four things a day on Facebook, about how Corbyn supported the IRA. All of, this kind of the accusations in the mainstream media that you keep keep hearing, but the thing is, they weren't just accusations. They all had a nugget, yep. a, a kernel of truth. And she and was sharing it all the time.
1: And, and you know, yeah, uh, don't diss the silver surface, man. Uh, but they, uh, you know, they've got the, they were all things that were kind of like anti-post sixty. The people who, 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 who uh, the. Uh, older generation just found distasteful, tasteful and there was nothing there for them at all, was there? I mean, all of a sudden that they kind of like came up with this waspy idea, didn't they? Out of nowhere, out of absolutely nowhere, at which point it just struck you it was desperate. But then the question that people were asking was, so how, am I go- how are we going to pay for that then? But, but, and do these people really... <laughs> You know,
0: well, not whether they deserve it, but where's the money coming from to pay for that? But, but to be fair, but that's the kind of ironic thing. Labour actually realised they were going to get the accusations of where's where the money going to come in from. So they had the grey book that actually worked it all out. And then, out of the blue, yep. comes the Bosby women. If yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the argument that I made yesterday, attempting to justify our manifesto, I now look like a bit of a fool because it wasn't true. <laughs> And do you
1: think they did that because basically they reacted to Boris being so unrealistic with the truth about money as well? I mean, he I think, t- he was spend, 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 so they just thought. I think there'd been oh some internal
2: polling as well that said he had a that he had a woman problem, in, probably in more ways than one. But you know, he had a real issue with, with women, and I think that was a very. They just thought that was a shortcut to sort of get lots of women to vote for them, and you know, kind of the uh, over fifty five women to vote for them. And, you know, they're not that stupid.
1: But it was lost by then, wasn't it? I mean, you know, it it was already lost by then. I would, I would argue. Yeah, it's desperation. But I mean, we've we avoided we've avoided the subject so far. But Brexit, gentlemen. Yeah,
2: it was it was no doubt a factor, and uh, you know, and I have to say, I think Keir Starmer has got a lot to answer for with that. The you know the policies, the Tory policy was a work of genius. Get Brexit done, three words, end of. Ours was about three pages in the manifesto. And and I didn't quite understand what it was. So how you sell that on the doorstep, I have no idea. It was just a ridiculous policy.
1: I don't don't know how you would sell it anyway. I mean, you know, I mean, the Liberals paid the ultimate price, didn't they, for being ultimately stupid about once there's been a referendum, you have to honour it. I think there's ways of honouring it, and there are ways that we should have honoured it. Um, And, you know, I think it was a salutary lesson um, that actually... London and the uh, you know and the pro remainers were just you know just overrode Corbyn and Corbyn didn't have the gumption to stand up to it. But even if he had, the whole party would have fallen apart at that point. Mm, but but know, I'm not sure. That brings us sure. back to blue r- blue Labour, really. doesn't Yeah. It? But
0: I'm not sure that's what it was. I think the you know the seeds of this were a lot earlier. That wasn't a clarity because it's also. If you actually look at some of the detailed polling and and the focus group work that was done on things like this if you're actually looking at what leavers thought of whether in their voting priority it was pretty low down the list you know it wasn't necessarily going to be the one thing that made them change their mind but it's because there was no clarity and we we got it i mean let's go back to rothwell you know even in the kind of local elections last year you know you would you you get all these kind of leave voters that were kind of saying, oh, well, the have stopped us leaving. So that whole kind of fence sitting thing wasn't working. You know, we actually, at that point, you know, a year, ag- a year before the general election, we'd already lost the leave voters. So actually, if, what, what would have been sensible of, to have decided actually we're going to be totally leave? Difficult position to, to have to take, but they had to take one or the
2: other. And that middle ground that I think, you know, Kia mm-hmm. negotiated like the good lawyer that he is (laughs) fine but again sell that on the doorstep yeah but one of the things
1: that did perhaps was it kept the party together at a point when it would have fallen apart I mean you know because that when that was all going off and remember, we had people leaving the party to set up their own new parties. We had them leaving to join the Liberal Democrat. You know, the whole party, well, the PLP, but not just the PLP, actually. Let's be sensible about this. The whole party was falling apart. People were leaving the party. Nick left the party. There's was a whole series of people left not, not, the party. Not one because of Brexit, though. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, there's a whole series of things going off at that time. And actually, the policy that they came up with arguably saved saved
0: a, a broad church but lost us the election really badly. But what about the manifesto then? You know we've it was so long. Were there any good bits in it for you Carl? Yeah there were. Four-day week I think is a
1: is something that in ten years time we'll be looking back on and saying that was a really interesting proposal. I like that a lot. I like the stuff uh, about Green New Deal, but as I've said before, that's, it's a bit old hat, and given it, you know, if you, if you follow American politics, you'll know it's been around a long, long time, but it's exactly what we needed to do, and we've got to do something about that, and the environmental stuff wasn't strong enough, but it was good. Yeah, so, so those are, I think those would be my two highlights from the manifesto.
2: I mean, I think there's some things in the Green New Deal, I'd agree with you, that were really quite innovative and uh, were certainly worth looking at. I think... The whole nationalisation agenda, I think there is a debate to be had about railways in particular, you know, probably Royal Mail, but it, it was the it was almost the people who were selling it. What they wanted was a nationalisation that took us back, and I'm not sure that's where we need to be going. And again, a lot of particularly older people will, will have remembered British Rail as was and, and how inefficient and useless it was. So I, I, I never bought the, I never bought this idea that you know individually all the policies were really popular. I, I, no, I just didn't, didn't get it at all. And there was very little for me in the manifesto that, that well, convinced me to vote for them.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think that's it. There was there was so I mean I mean some of the kind of the positives in it for me were things like the house building, but once again I'm not sure that any of the parties are kind of really tackling kind of how we solve the housing kind of issue. Yeah. Because it, it, it's not just about money, which which is what kind of Labour appeared to think is, let's just build loads and loads of houses. Actually, there's everything about kind of looking at the planning framework oh, and house building standards. There's there's a lot more to it. And I just think our approach was, a, it, it struck me as a bit too simplistic. In terms of something to highlight, but I think one of the other points I'd make is kind of what was missing. Where was the stuff about crime? Yeah, but That should have been right up there at the top because if you if I've got to a point if I've got to point to two issues that people that live near me care about it's buses and crime yeah, yeah they, they that's a really mundane but it makes a massive difference to people's lives and it's something that hits them every single day I fed again back into that narrative that they
2: just didn't that these are people who do not care about those kind of Communities where it is such a, a major issue, but again, it comes back to that cultural divide where crime wasn't seen as being a, a, a big issue because it,
1: it's, know, it's, it's, it's blight not lives. I mean, it's terrible wherever yeah. it happens, but it doesn't blight people's lives like it does on some of their estates, does it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, they live with it, it just defines their lives. I yeah. mean, you can't, you want to go home wood and they don't talk about no else, do they?
0: I mean, you know, that's it. And, and I think one of the things that was in the manifesto that's actually related to that was sure start. You know, I, I remember back to when I was a kind of a councillor in the early noughties, and if there was one thing that Labour did that kind of made a difference on the states in Middleton, where I was a councillor, it was sure start. Because it was, well, the clue's in the name, it, it gave kids that sure start in life. And you had loads of parents who were desperate to do the best for their kids, but they didn't necessarily have the skills or the ability or the resources to do it. And that's what Schuerstadt gave them. So, so, so those were missing, definitely. I think you
1: know there should have been more about that stuff in there. But you know, I, it was so long that there must have been something in it that you liked. Do you know what I mean? It was kind of like, yeah, okay, so that's there. The truth of the matter is we, nobody actually trusted us to deliver any of that anyway. Because they knew, A, we weren't going to get elected... And be even if we did, that, you know, that Corbyn wouldn't be Prime Minister, because yeah, really, Mind yeah. you, I suppose he would have been, wouldn't he? Because he would have had enough of his own troops. In, yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. could have put but, absolutely
2: anything in there, but, you know, free unicorns for everybody, but no one at the, at the end of the day believed that we'd yeah. have been in any position to...
1: I mean, did you see anything in there about redistributing wealth, other than the income tax stuff? I mean he kept talking about billionaires and he, I keep, I keep personalising, the, the manifesto talked about billionaires, you did not talk about billionaires too much, but I mean you know it, that, they were banging on about this billionaires thing and I think that stuck a bit with people and the idea that, um, you know, that there is a, a massive gap between the very rich and the very poor, and there are, there is. So redistribution is a really really interesting and important thing for me but I didn't see any mechanism really whereby that was going to happen without penalising people, hard-working people that worked all their lives to save a few hundred quid. You know, there was nothing in there that that kind of like radically changed the situation to me. No,
2: I'm not. I don't think just, I don't think there was. There was no innovative thinking there at all. I don't think. I think it was about punishing people, and that came across very much in You know, it was, it was again labour pointing the finger at bad companies and bad individuals. And that just doesn't fly with people.
0: Well, I think uh, a conservative friend of mine talked about the manifesto being all about the politics of envy. Uh, And that's how it came across to people. Um, And yeah, I I think he actually had a legitimate point there that it was, you know, it was actually more about kind of hating rich people and um, than actually trying to make a difference. One of the really interesting things about the people who did actually vote for Corbyn in the end, including myself,
1: I have to say, <laughs> was, uh, you know, the altruism that was involved in them actually doing that, because a lot of those people in those places put Brexit ahead of their own income. If you look at, you know, the, the rates that they were going to change income tax to, showing real kind of like, you know, okay, I'm prepared to give up on this for the greater good which is a real credit to those people but not everybody's built like that you know and and you know there aren't enough of those people to ever have a majority are there and especially not when when you know others are, are striving to get to that position and, and what they think is once i get there so they're going to take it away from me i mean it's a big thing for people and but i don't even think that got, they got to that point in their minds i don't think they ever got to that point where they were balancing out shall i go this way or that, I think they made their minds up pretty quickly in this election.
0: And we're also, I mean, we're probably getting to, towards the end of it now, but another thing that kind of struck me is I didn't feel any sense of ownership of this manifesto as a, as a Labour Party member. I remember previously, I have, so when we were in government, you know, we had the National Policy Forum, I actually understood how I could submit ideas, how they would be discussed, how they would be spat out the other end, I'm not really clear where all this came from. It, some some of the ideas, I mean, like free broadband, where, where, they, where it just kind of sprang yeah. out of nowhere. I just don't think it's be um, discussed by anybody. I think it was just but, well, like, I think it like, came. I think it did come it in it as a it came in as an idea from somewhere, which is why it was included. But I'm not entirely clear where. And if there was that process for submitting ideas, I I'd had submitted some, but I didn't know what the process was. Whereas it's previously I have done. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was a
1: that was another classic kind of like somewhere over the rainbow moment, wasn't it, from the Labour Party? Why else did he lose? I know we're coming to the end of this, spot, uh, but why gone. else did he did he lose? Because the Liberals were rubbish. Yeah, you know? <laughs> even if Labour had, uh, you know, we we did nothing in Scotland again, you know, we we lost seats in wales we you know and, and the far and the west of the country was an absolute well everywhere was a disaster let's face it but you know the west country the liberals just didn't do anything you can't win a labour government without the, the west being strong as much as you can't win a labour government without winning back scotland and we have no answer to nationalism in scotland it's a disgrace
2: and i think you've got to um, accept that uh, the SNP ran a very good campaign we, we were poor just as we were poor in England. But the SNP in Scotland and the Tories, particularly in the North, they ran a very disciplined campaign. So it wasn't just about, it was, I think it was mainly about what we lost and we were o- almost enemies, but actually the Tories in England and the SNP in Scotland ran a pretty good, tight campaign. I
0: think you're right. Shall we call it a day, chaps? So next week we will be taking a look at the deputy leadership contenders. If only I, I remember who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopefully, people we'll have draft got some like... idiot cards for you. I'll just keep all the pictures up. For you. <laughs> yeah, all the pictures because God knows who they are. I don't know. <laughs> some
2: we'll work for you, Mister Milner. Oh
0: God! We could actually start the podcast with. Looking um, for a little question time. Yeah, yeah let's, see, let's see, well, see how he does.
1: I, I tell you what, I would not know half of them. I don't think it's going to matter though, is it in the deputy leadership campaign? For well, at the moment, <laughs> there's maybe not even enough of them to get nominations. Be, uh, yeah, a short list of one. I think. Shall we do it after the nominations, gentlemen <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more of this, then please subscribe. Share it with your friends and comrades and rate to review it on Apple Podcasts because ratings mean rankings and rankings means listeners.